Romans Road Construction. Been in this series now for nine weeks, and we wrap it up today. Yeah, if we want to stick with that little mental picture, maybe we take the, the road cones down, we, we paint the stripes down the middle, everything is all smooth, and we completely understand everything there is about the book of Romans. Amen? Yeah, amen. Go ahead and flip to Romans chapter 15. Uh, we suggested you read the second half of that through chapter 16 last week, and uh, hopefully you had a chance to do that. You kind of get a glimpse of where we're going this morning. Many of you remember Pastor Ron Miller, correct? Okay, great man, great teacher, phenomenal man of God. Because of the life he lived, everywhere he went, globally, he knew somebody. He once told me with this exasperated look, I can't even go into Costco anywhere and not see somebody that I don't know. I go in there for a gallon of milk, or two gallons, I guess, at Costco, and should be a five-minute trip. 45 minutes later. It's kind of the same way with one of the pastors up at Timberview Christian Fellowship, one of our sister churches up in Mead, Washington. Pastor Chris Sloan has been a youth pastor there for 17 years. And he cannot go anywhere in Spokane, anywhere, without somebody knowing him. He likes that. He's a people person. It, it fills him up. But if you're ever the other person who's trying to sit down with him over coffee or a lunch... It kind of get annoying. I see a couple people who have done that with him. You know what I'm talking about. He's sitting there and he knows the waiter. He knows the bartender. He knows the three people that are sitting at that table. All oh, the two people that are walking out that door. And who's this coming up? It's somebody who wants to say hi to Pastor Chris. As the other person, I've often sat there and thought, come on, man. Where can we go anywhere without people knowing you? Crazy thing is, there's been times Chris and I have been at a conference in a whole other state, and we'll sit down, and somebody will still walk up, Chris, how you been? And later on, Chris, who's that? Oh, I used to this, that, and this, and connections all over the place. Now, why is that with Pastor Ron, Pastor Chris? Is that just the way God has made them, or are they that much cooler than all the rest of us? Well, maybe, maybe. Pastor Ron is pretty cool. Pastor Chris is very, very cool also, okay? Realistically, though, so the answer could be a partial yes to that, but I think it also has to do with the fact that they live their lives sent. Everywhere they go, everything they do is done on purpose. And in all the years that they've spent in ministry, they have not wavered from their sentness. They live sent. Now, the Apostle Paul was also that way. Everywhere he went, people seemed to know him. In fact, it could be said that even in places he did not go, people knew him. In the first week of the series, nine weeks back, I told you guys that, Pastor, or the, 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 that the Apostle Paul had never visited the church in Rome. And yet, if you read chapter 16 this past week, you should have been blown away at the fact that he had no less than 24 names that he gave personal greetings to in that church. He'd never been there. And yet in a letter, he rattles off 24 different people he wants to give specific greetings to. Now, Romans 1.13, Paul says, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned to visit you many times, but I was prevented until now. But somehow, I know about a quarter of the church in Rome. How could he do that? Why did people know him, even in places he never went? 
Rome was a city of about a million people, and the church was only about a hundred is what they're guesstimating. And yet even when he hadn't been there, people knew him. Why? Because Paul lived sent. He lived sent. Now can we, the average people of the world, can we live like that? What about all us common folk? Do we have a chance? I want to say yes. I want to say for sure. And I want to say that Paul, inadvertently, unintentionally, in the, the conclusion of his letter, second half of, verse, of, of chapter 15 up through 16, gives us this blueprint as to how we can live sent. Now you could probably count on less than three fingers the amount of times I've ever preached a sermon that is five easy steps to fill in the blank, right? I, I, I don't normally do that, and I really hesitated to do that today, but I figured after eight weeks of theological goodness and depth and doctrine that it might be a good change of pace, and it may also be a good way to finish our study in the book of Romans. So, here we go. From a, the Apostle Paul's concluding remarks to the church in Rome, here are five necessary steps to living sent. Notice I didn't say five easy steps. Five necessary steps to living sent. The big blank page on the back of your bulletin for notes if you want to jot these steps down. Step number one. First thing you must do in living sent is you must know your calling. You must know your calling. Now calling is a very free Methodist friendly word. It's a word that people use when they come and say, I think God is telling me I should be in vocational ministry. Maybe it's a word that, you know, if you're starting to organize a block watch or something, you, I, I feel called to evangelize the entire neighborhood of West Central or the Garland District. It's, it's a churchy word. It can be a scary word, one that many a college freshman will just, they'll stare at that library cubicle and they'll beg God, God, please give me a clear direction of my calling in life. And then the night shift supervisor at McDonald's will sit there and think, oh, did I miss my calling? I want to unscarify this word, calling, this morning. When I say step one is know your calling, what I mean is this. You need to know how God has wired you, how God has made you, and then live like that. It's as simple as that. What are you passionate about? What do you enjoy doing? What are you effective at? Then do those things and do them for the glory of God. That's the first step, knowing your calling. The Apostle Paul, he knew his calling. He was the one who was called to bring the good news of Christ to the Gentiles. And he began telling us this at the very beginning of this letter. Romans 1 verse 1. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen to be an apostle and sent out to preach the good news. Now in our text for this week, Paul reinforces exactly to whom he was sent to go towards. The Gentiles, Romans 15, verses 16 to 19. Paul writes, I am a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. I bring you the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God made holy by the Holy Spirit. So I have reason to be enthusiastic about all Christ Jesus has done through me in my service to God. Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them. 
They were convinced by the power of the miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. Paul knew that it was his life calling to preach to the Gentiles. Now, how did he know this? Well, perhaps Ananias told him. If you know the story, Ananias is the Jewish Christian who God told Paul to go to. Actually, I think it was God told Ananias to go meet Paul after Paul's Damascus Road experience. It's in Acts chapter 9, verse 15. Jesus said to Ananias, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So maybe when Ananias knocked on Paul's door or when Paul knocked on Ananias' door, however the story went, maybe Ananias says, hey, God told me you're to go to, to preach to the Gentiles. It could have been that. Or it could have been that Paul started preaching and he realized, hey, I'm good at this. I get up in the morning thinking about this. I'm excited about it. You know what? Dang it, I'm going to do this. I'm called to do this and nothing else. In a letter that he wrote to another church, the church in Ephesus, Paul says this, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of the Gentiles, and I love this, he goes on a rabbit trail here, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. Well, twice. I mean, this is who he's going to talk to. He told his young apprentice something very similar, Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, verse 7. He says, I've been chosen as a preacher and apostle to teach the Gentiles about this message of faith and truth. Paul knew his calling, and he knew that apart from it, there was nothing else for him. Nothing else for him. It's an author by the name of Oz Guinness. He writes, he's written many books, and in one of those he writes, Apart from your call, there is no responding and no responsibility. Apart from the call, there is no responding and no responsibility. This quote comes from a book he wrote aptly titled, The Call, Finding and Fulfilling the Central Purpose of Your Life. You see a picture of it up there, I think. It's coming. There it is. That's what it looks like. Great book, okay? Highly recommend it, especially if you're wrestling with what your call is in life. The Apostle Paul, he knew that the central purpose in his life was to reach the Gentiles with the good news. But he also knew it was a little more focused than just the Gentiles. Romans 15, uh, 20 to 22. Paul says, my ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard, rather than where a church has been started by someone else. I've been following the plan spoken of in scriptures where it says, those who have never been told about him will see, and those who have never heard of him will understand. He writes, in fact, my visit to you has been delayed so long because I've been preaching in these places. Paul's call, Gentiles who hadn't heard the message. This was his specific calling in life. The first step you must know in living sense is to know your call and then do it. It's that simple and, and yet also that challenging. If you don't know where to start after you've read Oz Guinness's book, try looking back just a couple chapters in Romans. Romans 12, 6 to 8. We've read this several times in this series. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing different things. So if God's given you the ability to prophesy, speak out which is with as much faith as God has given you. 
If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If you're an encourager, encourage well. If it's giving, give generously. If God's given you leadership ability, take that responsibility seriously. If you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. You're sitting there wondering, huh, what is my call in life? And do you fit in any of those? Okay. And then, come and talk to me. We'll help you figure it out. I don't know the answers, and I'm not going to give you the answers, but I will ask you a lot of questions. And hopefully with the Holy Spirit's guiding and and a few prompting questions, you'll be right on your way. Step one, in living scent, know your call. Second step, I believe Paul gives us in an attempt at living scent, is to gather a prayer team. Gather a prayer team. This is a crucial step, and one that I would seriously bet big money on, that even if you knew your call without a shadow of a doubt, if you did not have people praying for you as you lived ascent, you would not be effective. Before our church sent a team down to Mexico in 2012 to build a house, somebody in my pastor's cabinet came to me and said, hey, let's, let's get like this, this, this time sheet of when people can be praying for the, the, the team that's gone. It's a great idea. We did it, and I think it really was a pivotal role in why we had a successful trip. Now, you could be thinking, well, of course, Pastor James is going to tell us we should gather a prayer team. That's the pastor thing to do. I want to tell you, I've seen enough endeavors without a prayer covering fail, and I've seen enough with a prayer covering succeed that I believe in this. And Paul, he knew his need for prayer. Romans 15, 30, and 31. Dear brothers and sisters, I urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to join in my struggle by praying to God for me. Do this because of your love for me given to you by the Holy Spirit. Pray that I will be rescued from those in Judea who refuse to obey God. Pray also that the believers there will be willing to accept the donation that I'm taking to Jerusalem. Paul lived and breathed by the prayer teams he had. In everywhere he went, he told the church in Thessalonica this, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 of the second letter. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we ask you to pray for us. Pray that the Lord's message will spread rapidly and be honored wherever it goes, just as it did when it came to you. Pray, too, that we will be rescued from wicked and evil people, for not everyone is a believer. That's what he told the church in Thessalonica. He told the church in in Colossae, the Colossian church, chapter 4, verse 2 and 4, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That's why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Pray, Paul says, that I will proclaim the message to the Gentiles who have not heard the message of Christ as clearly as I should. Second step in living scent, gather a prayer team. Wait, did you hear that? I heard amen. No, there it is again. It's Phil. It's Phil down in Boise. He said, gather a prayer team. Amen. He said it again. Amen. Phil, would, 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 he would yell amen if he were here. Because he knew the value of prayer. Have people prayer. Second step. So we're working on five essential, necessary steps on how to live a sent life. said you must know your call and you must have people praying for you. The third thing I would say is that everywhere you go, make sure you are intentional with every person you meet. As you never know when that person will be a key person in helping you fulfill your calling and more importantly in growing the kingdom. 
So kids, if you're writing it down, be intentional with every person. Be intentional with every person. That's step number three. Like I said at the beginning of the message, Paul listed off 24 different names of people in his greeting at the end of his letter. We're not going to go through all 24 names, but listen to a couple of potential connections with Paul and those names. Of the 24 names listed, 13 occur in inscriptions or documents which have to do with the imperial household or the emperor's palace in Rome. Uh, Philippians 4.22, Paul speaks of the saints that are of Caesar's household. Is there a connection? Maybe. Romans 16.17, we meet this couple named Andronicus, great name, and Junia. If anybody's going to have a baby someday, I would advocate for the name Andronicus. It's good. Proverbs 16, verse 7. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who were in prison with me. They're highly respected among the apostles and became followers of Christ before I did. Spent time in prison with Paul. Was he intentional with them there? I would say so. And he mentions that they'd been Christians longer than he had. So did they have ties back to Stephen? When Paul stood there and watched Stephen being stoned? Could have been. Then there is Rufus and his mother, Romans chapter 16, verse 13 says this, Greet Rufus, whom the Lord picked out to be his very own, and also his dear mother, who has been like a mother to me. Was this Rufus one of Simon and Cyrene's sons? Remember Simon and Cyrene who carried the cross for Jesus on, 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 the, uh, on, the, on the way up to Golgotha? Later on, look at Mark 15, 21. It says he has two sons, Rufus and Alexander. Was there a tie there? And what about his mom? Like a second mom to Paul. Now we can look at all these names and look at the potential connections, but let's take a closer look at one specific couple and how Paul was very intentional with them. Let's look at Priscilla and Aquila. A lot of your your translations say Prisca and Aquila. Romans 16, verses 3 through 5. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I'm thankful to them, and so are all the Gentile churches. Also, give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. Paul first met them in Acts chapter 18. And we get to see some of his intentionality there. 18, 1 to 3. Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. Paul lived with them and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. Roommates and business partners, He went there, met them. Hey, let's be intentional with each other. Now, when Paul left Corinth, he went to Ephesus. Who did he take with him? Those two. Acts 18, 18. Paul stayed in Corinth for some time after that, then said goodbye to the brothers and sisters and went to nearby Centria. Remember that town, nearby Centria. There he shaved his head according to the Jewish custom, marking the end of a vow. Then he set sail for Syria, taking Priscilla and Aquila with him. From Corinth to Ephesus. 
Then when Paul is writing back to the Corinthian church, he sends greetings from this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, because they had had a church that met in their home. 1 Corinthians 16, 19, you can look at that later. The next time we hear of this couple, they're in Rome in today's texts. And another church is meeting in their home. Paul is sending them greetings. The final time we hear of them is in 2 Timothy 4.19. They're once again back in Ephesus. These are good people that Paul was very, very intentional with. You look at that list of 24 names and you think, oh, maybe it's so-and-so's uncle and maybe there was some sort of chance greeting or, or meeting. And I don't think so. One commentator writes that clearly the greetings in Paul's letters were more than a formality. Paul intended thereby to embrace all these people within a sense of mutual ministry and support. It's obvious that Paul was very intentional with each and every person he met. And like the commentator said, he saw everyone as an opportunity for mutual ministry and support. This actually leads us to step four of our necessary steps for living sent. Mutual ministry. It's not all about you. Living sent means preparing other people to live sent and then sending them. Did you catch that? Living sent means preparing other people to live sent and then sending them. We know Paul did this with the young man Timothy that Paul mentions at the end of his letter. Chapter 16, verse 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends you his greetings, as do Lucius, Jason, Sosif... can't even say that name. Sosifapater and my fellow... Jews. Timothy. Timothy was a young man that Paul was definitely teaching to live sent. And he had the intention of sending him. We see this and we see a a glimpse of their relationship in Philippians 2, 19 to 23. You can just listen to this. Paul writes, if the Lord is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. And I hope to send him. I hope to send him to you as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. Paul and Timothy. Train him to live sent, and then send him. Back to our text today in chapter 16, 1 and 2, we get to see Paul in the active sending phase with a woman named Phoebe. Romans 16, 1 and 2, Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who was a deacon in the church in Centria. Remember, you had gone there with Priscilla and Aquila? Ah, Phoebe, nice to meet you. Let me be intentional with you. Welcome her in the name of the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many, especially to me. Do you see what Paul is doing? He's sending Phoebe in order that others may live sent lives. He's telling the people there who he's sending her to, hey, she's worthy of whatever you can give to her, of whatever help you can have. As a pastor, I'm often asked to write letters of reference 
You know, somebody's applying for a job or something, they have to have their, you know, a, a boss letter, a friend letter, and a, a pastor's letter. When somebody asks me, I always ask them, you want me to be honest? And oftentimes they laugh and they say, oh yeah, of course. But for me, it's a serious question. Because if I'm putting my name on a letter of reference for somebody, I want to know that that person is worthy of recommendation. So I have to think through what have I done to make sure and prepare this person so that I can refer them to somebody else, so that I can recommend them to somebody. Romans 16, 1 and 2, Paul is writing a two-sentence letter of recommendation. I should learn how to write them that short. He's saying, I recommend Phoebe. And he, re- and, and he meant every word of it. She was ready. Living sent, it means you're preparing others to live sent and then sending them. I mentioned Pastor Chris Sloan at the beginning of this message. He is one who does this amazingly. And I know this about him. So on Wednesday, 20 minutes before his youth group, I intentionally did this. So he'd be stressed. He wouldn't have much time. I called him up and I said, hey, real quick question. Where are all the people that you've ever had influence on and where are they serving? And he fumbled for a little bit because of the, uh, the, the quickness of the question. And then he's like, okay, okay, wait, wait, wait. I got somebody in California. I got somebody in Dubai, the country. I've got somebody in Florida, Washington, Oregon, Houston, College Ministry at SPU, Vancouver, Longview, Boise. And had I given him more time, I'm sure he could have rattled off more people. I don't tell you this to puff him up. I don't tell you this to say, look at Chris Sloan. I tell you this to say, this is an example of somebody who is living sent by training others to be sent and then sending them. He does that well. And there's a reason why any place you go, he knows somebody. Because he's had influence in their life. And he has sent them. Paul did it. Chris did it. We need to do it too if we are to really live sent. We need to send others also. It's our fourth step. Our fifth step. Very necessary but often overlooked step in our five steps of of living sent. Our fifth step is this. Refresh. Refresh. Now let me tell you what I mean by that. As people living sent, what I mean by that is allowing other people to minister to your soul. To fill up your tanks. There has to be room in, this for, in your life for this. There has to be margin in your life for other people to do this for you. Paul did it. Romans 15, 23, and 24. But now I have finished my work in these regions, and after all these long years of waiting, I'm eager to visit you. I'm planning to go to Spain, and when I do, I will stop off in Rome. And after I have enjoyed your fellowship for a little while... After I've refreshed, you can send me on my way. Verse 29, same chapter. And I am sure, Paul writes, that when I come, Christ will richly bless our time together. We'll be refreshed. This one's great. Verse 32. Then, by the will of God, I will be able to come to you with a joyful heart, and we will be an encouragement to one another. Enjoying time together, being an encouragement to each other. The New American Standard Bible translates and reads verse 32 like this. It says, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Refreshing rest. The Greek word looks like this. 
I'm not going to try and pronounce it. It's made, it's put together by two words, okay? The, the first half of it, the S-Y-N, means to be identified with, and then the rest of it means to pause completely. It means to pause together, especially when people are enjoying God's unique rest together, which only comes from first fighting God's battles in the unity of the Spirit. Romans 15.32 is the only time in Scripture this, this word is used. And it's used in reference to the Roman Christians coming along Paul in his struggle against those opposing his important mission. To find refreshing rest. The only time in Scripture this is used. But as people living sent, we ought to be using this word over and over and over. And this isn't selfish. It's because living sent can be exhausting. Even if you're living solely out of the power of the Holy Spirit, it can take its toll. So you've got to allow God to bring people into your life who can wash this refreshing rest over you. I've got people who do that. Some people who are sitting here this morning who do that for me. There's some people outside the church who do that for me. I very intentionally surround myself with, with these people, especially when I realize my tanks are running low. I know how vital they are, and I know that if you don't have people like this, living scent can be exhausting and very, very lonely. Refreshing rest. It's a fifth step. Don't skip this step as you're living scent. Hey, there you have it. told you I was going to give you five steps, five necessary steps to living sent, and I've given you five. Know your call and live into it. Gather a prayer team. Be intentional with every person you meet. Train others to live sent and then send them. And get refreshing rest. So here's a question. Do you have to be in vocational ministry to live like that? No. Say it with me. Do you have to be in vocational ministry to live like that? No, every single one of us should be living like this. Whether you're a college freshman or that night shift supervisor at McDonald's, whether you're a janitor or a nurse, whether you're a teacher, a librarian, a coach, a retired city worker, each and every single one of us needs to be living like this. And just imagine if we all did. I mean, seriously, think about it for a moment. Would any one of us be able to walk into Costco and not know somebody? No. But that's not really the point. The point is that if we were truly living sent, we would be bringing people to Jesus Christ and then teaching them how to teach others to bring people to Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was excited about. That's what Pastor Ron was excited about. Pastor Chris was excited about. You live sent and you walk into Costco and you see somebody and you ask them, hey, how is it with your soul? You hit depth really, really quick. Jesus is glorified. And it's all out of conversation. Living sent. Our church motto has really become being disciples, making disciples of Jesus. We must live sent in order to carry this out. And now... We've got a five-step process as to how we can do that. Now, we'll be hearing more about this topic at the turn of the year. And I want to tell you guys a secret. i got big goals for this church next year. I want to send people. I want to commission them to live sent. Exactly where we are. You know, maybe we'll send people to another country. Maybe we'll send them here. I want to commission 52 people next year. 
to live sent. If my math is correct, that's about one a week. Okay? But don't tell anybody that. Okay? Instead, be praying about your call. How has God wired you? Be thinking about who you could gather on a prayer team. Be looking around and thinking, who can I be intentional with? Who can I train to live sent? So I can send them Oh, and who can be part of my refreshing team? Each and every one of us needs to be living sent. And I want to send a lot of people next year. So my take-home application, start praying. Start praying. Let's live sent. Let's pray. Jesus, I get excited about things like this. I get excited about the opportunities we're going to have. And Lord, I, I'm just impressed with the way you, you, you forced me to live into this this past week. And it was great. Lord, last night, even at 1030, sitting with a group of people who I was reminded that you want me to be sent to them. So thank you for that. God, I'm humbled by opportunities. And I'm humbled that you would consider me worthy to help proclaim your message. God, you consider each one of us worthy, and you have called us to that. I mean, Jesus said it, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. God, help us. Help us. Because if each and every one of us in here can live sent, we're going to change the world. And I'm excited for that, Lord Jesus. We can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can only do that with each other and with you. Be weighing on our hearts over the next weeks how we can each live sent. And Lord, next year as we start commissioning people, I pray that it will change who we are. We give you glory and honor and praise, and we pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.